listening to the Keep Going Podcast, where we keep going after the heart of God because He's our only hope. I'm Nika Maples. Today I have something a little different for you. I'm interrupting our usual podcast lesson series to replay the audio from my book launch party. I just released a new book called Hunting Hope, Dig Through the Darkness to Find the Light. It's a book of encouragement, reminding us that God is with us even in those dark situations that may seem hopeless in our lives. I compare those situations to winter seasons, and God promises spring. We see it in the natural world. We have a hard time believing it for the spiritual world, but we will see spring again after this winter season. He uses a winter to kill off what we do not need in our lives, to simplify, to bring us back to the basics. And then comes new growth and beauty born in spring. But during the winter seasons, what does it mean to look for God? He says, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. So let's listen in on one way that we can see God even during a hopeless situation. Hello, my name is Mark Maples. I'm Nika's brother, and it is so great to be here tonight. Becky was right. This is just a culmination of much prayer. It really is, and uh, we're honored for you to be here, and uh, we're excited. So tonight we celebrate what a heart can do when it is fully committed to God. And, excuse me, he is so faithful. And so we want to honor him in two ways tonight. First, um, because Candy was so faithful in her pursuit of God alone, Nika's dedicated, and she knows this, but Nika's dedicated the book to her. And I was going to read it, but you just got to get the book and then you can read it. But (laughs) it's good. It's very sweet. Uh, Second, uh, because the first fruits of uh, this project uh, belong to God alone, uh, Nika's uh, going to de- uh, donate 100% of the proceeds of all the sales tonight to the Restore Conference, which is uh, an outreach of the Marriage Reconciliation Ministry at this church. It is a spirit-led, wonderful ministry that is healing people's marriages and giving people hope. The um, God wants to heal marriages. He wants to heal marriages, and it takes one person to walk in that door and follow his lead and hunt for hope. But, but somebody's got to do it. And so that ministry helps him uh, along that path. So lastly, being a writer and speaker, Nika kind of told me what she wanted me to say tonight. <laughs> but there was one thing that I wanted to say that she did not prepare. And uh, brothers tend to be overly critical. They have high standards for their sisters. I'm certainly guilty of that. It can can come across as being overly critical. So I just want to say in front of these witnesses how proud I am to be your brother and how honored I am. And I just want to say you have always been a hope hunter. uh, May God continually bless and protect you and uh, marvels await you. So Please welcome Nika Maple. Um, you, you would think as an English teacher and as a writer, 
I would have a thing against cliches, but I love a good cliche. (laughs) Those phrases like the early bird catches the worm or people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Those phrases at one time were really good writing. It's just that we used them too much and they became trite. A lot of times people ask me, now, wait a second, what is a hope hunter? And I find myself going back to cliches to explain it. First, let me tell you that a hope hunter is not an optimist. An optimist relates to cliches such as every cloud has a silver lining or look at it as if the glass is half full, not half empty. A hope hunter knows that sometimes the silver lining in a cloud is lightning and sometimes the glass really is empty. A hope hunter relates to an entirely different type of cliche. It's my favorite one. You can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. I've always loved that one. Well, a hope hunter turns it on its head. A hope hunter says, yeah, this situation is bad. You can't find anything good in it. But, but with God, you can make a silk purse out of a sow's ear because he is able to turn anything in your, in your life into something good and meaningful and kingdom-oriented. Candy's story is not featured in the book, but it certainly was the fuel for the writing of the book. When she contacted me two and a half years ago and told me the dire situation she was in, there was no way I could employ optimism. I couldn't tell her, just look on the bright side. I couldn't tell her that her cloud had a silver lining. There wasn't a silver lining in her cloud. And at Landon's lowest point in his addiction, he was living in a hotel where a lot of people tend to live when they're living that type of lifestyle, long-term, not just one or two nights, but for months at a time. I was taking a nap on the couch when her text came in. It said, you know, I think, I think God wants me to pray over Landon's dope motel. And in my sleepy Sunday afternoon haze, I typed back, okay, I'll go with you. (laughs) We'll do it Jericho style. How about we'll drive around it once a day for seven days, for six days, seven times on the seventh day. She thought it was a good idea and replied, we'd start the next day. Then I went back to sleep. (laughs) When I woke up, I picked up my phone, looked at my text and went, did I just tell somebody I was going to pray over a dope motel? Every night for seven days? Whatever. I was all in by then. We had already prayed for a year. See, Landon and I have been close friends since the fifth grade. Candy wanted her husband back, and I wanted my lifetime friend back. We were willing to storm the gates of heaven like hope hunters in order to see his purpose fulfilled on this earth because Everyone has a purpose given by God. Everyone has a purpose, a kingdom reason to be alive. 
And we wanted to see that completed in our dear one. And so we drove to the dope motel <laughs> on the first night. I mean, how do you do it? We, we just were like, we'll wing it. So we parked in a parking spot. We, it, feel, it felt appropriate to play a praise song. So we played a praise song, and then we prayed for about 15 minutes. And then, oh, and while we were praying, I want you to know, a woman on the first floor pulled aside the sheets she had hanging in the window instead of curtains, opened the window. I didn't even know hotel windows opened. Popped off the screen, crawled out, smoked a cigarette, crawled back in the window, pulled the screen, Close the window, close the sheets. <laughs> I turned to Candy. I turned to Candy and said, She didn't even use the door. <laughs> we just kept praying and then we drove around the building and left. The second night, I felt great. I was ready to, to do it again. We parked in the same parking spot, played a praise song. We prayed for 10 or 15 minutes, drove around the building, and left. The third night, I felt, I felt good. We parked in the same parking spot, pray, played a praise song, prayed for 10 to 15 minutes, drove around the building, and left. The fourth night, it was inconvenient to go to the dope motel. <laughs> <laughs> Candy and I had scheduling conflicts in the late afternoon, early evening when we usually went, which meant we had to go after 9.30. <laughs> this was not my favorite night. <laughs> Besides, all this driving around and adding something to my schedule kind of made me feel bad. I had arthritis in my hands from lupus. I felt lousy that day. And hear me say, the fourth, fifth, and sixth days were like that. The hardest part of a hope hunt is the middle. On the fifth day, I thought about skipping it, but I didn't have the heart to call Candy and tell her I couldn't go. Besides, I didn't really think it was a good idea for her to go by herself, which I knew she would. That night, I remember she said, where are the cops? There's this cluster of five Motels, everyone inside is doing the same thing. Everybody knows what these hotels are used for, and we haven't seen a cop in five days. I felt discouraged. We drove around the building and drove home. The sixth day, the same thing. Parked in a parking place, played a praise song, prayed for 10 or 15 minutes, drove around the building and left. But that time, there was this glimmer of hope there was only one day left. <laughs> and it was the finale. <laughs> On the seventh day, I sent Candy a text. It was a big seven. I sent her at seven. It was a picture of a seven. I sent her at 7 a.m. That morning, we both felt it. The atmosphere had shifted. We came that night with a group of friends who were ready to pray. There were four cars in our caravan. We got out of the car this time. 
I was the last one out. <laughs> I said, God can hear us from the car. <laughs> but we got out, stood in a circle on the front lawn. And the men who were with us, they weren't playing. They didn't just stand there holding hands in a circle. And they said, we're going to go lay hands on the building. They went and prayed over the building. And so <laughs> we dedicated ourselves anew to the hunt for hope. We got back into the car. Candy and I were the lead car that time. We drove around the building once. People on the top floor stuck their heads out of the window, looking like they had heard something, but it was night and they hadn't heard anything. It's like they sensed trouble was coming and heavenly trouble was coming. We drove around in a caravan the second time. We drove around the third time. That time, a group of shirtless men stood in front of us and said, what are you doing here? What are you driving around for? We just went around. (laughs) (laughs) We drove around the fourth time. We drove around the fifth time. People were still watching us from the top floor. We drove around the sixth time, and a cop tore into the parking lot, and another one, and another one, and another one. Seven cops (laughs) stormed the group of motels, started pulling people out, lining them up on the curb. So then I was fired up. The seventh time around, I yelled at Candy, you ready? (laughs) Rolled down the windows, blasted a praise song as loud as it would go, stuck my hands out the window. And here's where I took some liberty with my Bible stories, because Joshua is the one who took Jericho. Gideon, Gideon conquered Midian much, much later in Jewish history. But I like what he said, because his men, when they... When they rushed in to take Midian, they they yelled, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon! You know what I yelled? (laughs) A sword for the Lord and for Landon! (laughs) Candy just laughed. We went around that seventh time, and then we all drove home. And the next day, Nothing about her situation was different, but we were. It would be another year before we would see what it looks like when walls fall down in a family. But we were changed immediately just because we walked around those walls. Our touchstone verse tonight is Jeremiah 1, 9 through 10. It reads, Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, Look, I have put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. Please notice the dual task in our appointment. On one side we are to be about tearing down and destroying the things that have set themselves up against God's kingdom. 
But on the other side, we are to be about building up and planting. And look how we are to do this tearing down and building up. Our weapon for both tasks are the words in our mouths, placed there by the Lord. If you are here tonight, it is because God brought you here so that you would be reminded to build up or to tear down something in your life. I don't know what it is. If you have not heard yet in your heart what it is you are to be about building up or tearing down, don't worry. We're really just getting started. He will show you what he wants you to do personally because tonight is not about celebrating a book. Tonight is not about celebrating what he's done in my life. It's about God advancing his kingdom through every person in these seats. And that will require building up and tearing down. So if tonight God asks you to tear something down, I want to stress to you, use the elements of my story with candy, but not necessarily the method. Since the Jericho experience that that we shared, we've told that story several times. And each time, someone will say, later on, I'm going to pull a Jericho. And they name something that they're going to drive around. And, and that kind of just makes me wonder if, it's, if that's a distraction, if the method itself is a distraction. I want you to know something. I will not be responsible for you putting yourself in a dangerous situation <laughs> in order to emulate me. And number two, the reason that this was effective is because it was a response in obedience to something God had asked both Candy and me to do. And number three, if you focus on our method, you might just miss the the actual thing that God is asking you to do. Because if you pull a Jericho when he hasn't asked you to, it won't work. But there is something else that he's asking you to do. And if you're focusing on what we've done, you'll miss what he's asking you to do, the thing that will work. And realize tonight when you leave that some commands have an expiration date. Whatever he asks you to do tonight, do it as soon as possible. Some opportunities are only for today. Take hold of them, or they will melt like manna at midday. Because God is eternal, we often think that he will wait on us forever, but he won't. When the Israelites were commanded to go in and take Canaan, they hesitated. Even though God had told them, you will be successful if you do what I'm asking you to do, they said, yes, but how? Well, they asked too many questions. They waited too long. And God eventually said, enough. And he disciplined them. And what did they do as soon as he disciplined them? Wait, 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 wait. Okay, okay, we're going to go now. We're ready to go. We're going to go. Pack it up and we're going into Canaan. Moses said, where are you going? That won't work now. They go, no, he told us to do it. We're going. They all ran into Canaan, stormed 
across the river. And Moses said, there they go. It's not going to work now. (laughs) And sure enough, it didn't. They suffered many losses and came back in retreat. I don't want the same thing to happen in your life if you wait to obey. That's the tearing down. And what about the building up? I think that's the most difficult of the two tasks. When we're tearing down, we see the thing we are going after to tear down. But when, we build, when we're building up, we don't. It's just a hope or a vision that God has given us for our future, for the future of our family, for the future of our work on this earth. It's planting And planting requires holding on to that vision when the landscape is bleak, when there's no green thing to speak of. Building up requires believing that one day a garden will thrive where right now there is only dust. There are many days between a seed and a flower. And during those days, we wait and hunt for hope. I have prayed about this book. Really, I started writing it in 2012. And I prayed a long, long time about it. But really, the prayer started long, long before. It wasn't, though, until January 1st of 2016 that I started praying daring prayers, not really just about this book, mostly about other things in my life that are a flat landscape where there is no growth. And I felt God saying, say it out loud, Nika. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Say it out loud. I said, I I can't. It's scary. It's vulnerable to pray out loud things that really are only, only ever have lived in your heart. And now why? Why would it be hard to say something out loud just to God, just to him? I couldn't even say it out loud to him. I would think my prayers. They were daring prayers. But I felt God calling me to another cliche. Nika, put all your eggs in one basket, the one I'm holding, with no plan B. Right now in my life, there are a couple of situations where I have put all my eggs in one basket and there is no plan B. I was afraid to start saying those things out loud in prayer to God. You know, I think there's a reason there's such a mark of fear on the idea of speaking daring prayers out loud. It comes from the enemy. He knows that God didn't think the world into being. He spoke it into being. The enemy knows that if he can just keep us doing our best prayer work in our thought life, that we might not be co-creating with God as much as we think we are. So God has given us a breathtaking opportunity 
to join with him in the creative work on the earth. And the way we do that is by speaking out loud the things that he puts in our hearts. But the enemy keeps us believing little cliches like this one. Don't let Satan steal your joy. Here's the thing about cliches. Plenty of them aren't true. But if we repeat them often enough, we'll start believing they are truth. And that is what the enemy wants. Satan cannot steal your joy. You may say, but the Bible says he came to steal, kill, and destroy. Take that verse in context. It's in John 10. And where it appears, that entire section is not about joy, but about Jesus' voice. It says that Jesus is our good shepherd, that we recognize his voice, that he calls us out by name, that we know his voice apart from any other, that we follow his voice and no one else's. And then Jesus says, but the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. He came to steal Jesus' voice from you. He came to kill your ability to recognize it. He came to destroy the words that God speaks into our lives so that we will not repeat them and will not believe them. But what do we repeat and believe instead? Cliches. Don't let Satan steal your joy. That is a lie. How can I prove it? John 16, 22. So with you, this is what Jesus says. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will be able to take away your joy. There it was in the Bible the whole time. Jesus said it. No one can take away your joy. No one. This is God's good word to us. But how many people do you hear repeating this? So all these years, what has Satan been stealing? Not joy, but Jesus' voice. And we are distracted trying to protect something he never could have taken anyway. Meanwhile, he makes off with the very treasure of our lives, God's word in our mouths, the thing we use to tear down and to build up. He steals, kills, and destroys our co-creation with God. I knew I had to speak those daring prayers out loud, but I was so scared that I decided to do it outside. See, outside, you know, your, your words kind of get sucked away. Like the tube at a bank drive through <laughs> So I thought, I'll just say it and it'll get sucked away up to God. No one else will hear it. I couldn't even bear to hear, hear these things. And for some reason, my heart urge was to come here to this building. At the time, I was anticipating that my launch party would be held in another building somewhere else. And I had already asked about that. I had already received approval to have the launch party there. I just was drawn back here for this reason, for praying. So I was planning the launch party somewhere else, but I was walking around this building every other day. And I made a little playlist. One song stood for one daring prayer, and I would pray about that out loud as I listened to the song. So I didn't even have to listen to myself saying it out loud. But I walked... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I walked, the next song would pop on, I'd pray the next, the next daring prayer. The next song, the next daring prayer. Each song had a theme. And I walked around the building two times every other day. Um, I kept coming back for weeks, 
And eventually, somehow, the first building said that I couldn't have the launch party there, and people here said that I could have the launch party here. I thought, well, that's interesting. This is kind of where I was praying anyway. So I started praying a lot about the book launch party here. And as I walked, God even asked me to do some scary things. At the time, I was planning how many books to buy for this party. And I asked an industry professional who has a lot of experience. And he said, well, a good launch party, you'd probably sell 100 books. Well, you'd be lucky if you sold, sold 100 books. I said, okay. So I sat there. I started to place the order for 100 books. I felt God say, what, are you going to ask me? I said, all right, God, how many books? He said, 400. I went, okay, that's a lot to buy. (laughs) But all my eggs were in one basket, the one he's holding, no plan B. (gasps) I placed an order for 400 books. And, of course, that that right there became a song on the playlist. as I walked around the church. I went back all the time. And I started, this started January 1st. I started saying, can I maybe go to a park to pray? I mean, like, that's what I want to do. So I would try to go to a park. I would think about it. Like, I'm going to go, this is a nice park. And then I'd end up driving here. So weirdly. Finally, I said, well, maybe I should ask God about that too. I said, Lord, why am I coming back here? Why am I praying around this building so much again and again and again and again? And I didn't really even think that I would sense an answer, but I did immediately. He said, I'm taking you back to where the seeds were planted. I went, what? And immediately I saw a memory in my mind. A lot of times the the visions I receive from the Lord are memories that he connects You may hear from him that way too and not even realize that he's speaking to you that way. You have a memory and think you're just remembering something, but really he's he's giving you a message, connecting things in your lives. I saw when he said, I'm taking you back to where the seeds were planted. I saw an army of men and women with shovels. Many of you were there that day, either 1985 or 1986, When we walked from the old Richland Hills Church of Christ building in our church clothes, carrying shovels to this plot of ground, a bleak landscape, just dust. None of the other buildings that are back behind there. And we prayed for God to do amazing things. We had a vision of a grand building that he would use to draw people to himself. And we held on to that vision, even though there was nothing but dirt. We positioned our blades and began to dig. And in the middle of the crowd was a 12-year-old girl who already knew she wanted to be a writer. She typed stories on her typewriter every day after school. And into the opening that we dug, as a family, I threw in one tiny seed. I said, God, if you can, use me too. The bloom you see today took 
30 years to grow. It is a precious flower. There's even a rose on the cover, but it's behind a maze, which is a perfect representation of what it felt like to get to this moment. The wait has been long, but God's timing is perfect. The wait has been long, but God's timing is perfect. These two realities can coexist in your life. Please know that the prayers you pray out loud today are creating something that wasn't there before. And it's perfectly all right to put all of your eggs in one basket. You don't have to play it safe when it's the basket that the creator is holding in his hands. It's not only all right, it's the only way. This is how you hunt for hope. You listen to his word to you. You repeat it out loud. You obey it and then you wait. No plan B. And now it is time to recommit ourselves to the hunt for hope. We have to repeat God's word to do this. Psalm 33 is to a hope hunter what the Constitution is to the United States. It's a place where we start and the place we return to calibrate. It is long, but every word is worth it. So stick with me. I've taken a mighty liberty of mixing translations. So each stanza is from a different version, but all the verses of Psalm 33 are there. One of the chapters in my book is called Sing Truth. And that's where this song begins. I'll read a stanza, and then you read with me. You'll see it on the board. Good people cheer God. Right living people sound best when praising. Use guitars to reinforce your hallelujahs. Play his praise on a grand piano. Invent your own new song to him. Give him a trumpet fanfare. For the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything he does. He loves whatever is just and good. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host, by the breath of his mouth, he gathers the water of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fill the Lord, fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and thwarts all their schemes. But the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. What joy for the nation whose God is the Lord whose people he has chosen as his inheritance. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne, he observes all who live on earth. He made their hearts so he understands everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all his great strength, it cannot save him. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive and fair. Here it is. Say it like you mean it. 
We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Hope has been repeated so much, but these days it sounds trite. Hope is not a cliche. Hope is a person. If you believe that your helper, the Holy Spirit, is on your side, if you believe that your champion, Jesus, is still alive and breathing, if you believe your Father, God, loves you with an everlasting love, stand up. By standing, you just admitted it. You already have all the hope you need. We are a room full of the hungry. But the hunger is where our hearts learn to hunt. Nothing in your winter seasons will be wasted. And one day, God will declare, while you were hoping, I was helping. While you were praying, I was preparing. And while you were waiting, I was working. And in the perfection of his timing, he will open the doors of your situation and say, all of this is for you. Today's music is from Psalm 51 by Shane and Shane and is used with permission. Just an update, guess how many books I sold at the end of the message that night? All 400. What if I hadn't listened? God's word to you is perfect. You can trust it. When he speaks, you listen, repeat it, obey, and wait. Because his timing for you also is perfect. You can trust it. Though it's uncomfortable to live in a timing that is not our own, we know that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And by that, we really mean that they're better. We admit that his ways and thoughts are better than our ways and thoughts. And whatever he's preparing for us is what we would want if we could see it. He holds the future in his hands. And we believe that he's doing everything he does because he loves us and because he wants what's best for us. I feel like I need to end with, in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to do that. Keep going. In Jesus' name, 